Welcome to Gaming and BS, a podcast about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back. And if you're new to the show, thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, and this is, epi- this is episode 57, by the did way. Did I say Sean. episode? I did not no, say episode 57. Didn't. Okay. Made, made me sad. That's okay. That's okay. I'm totally thrown off now. I know. That's it. <sighs> Wrap it up. Let's go home. Wrap it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that was it. Thank you. Here's the outro. No, I'm kidding. Cool. All right. 57. I just, I, I did the math because I suck at math, as Kevin and other players of mine can tell you, and my wife could tell you. Um, we've been doing this for over a year, dude. That's pretty cool. A year. Yeah. Oh. 57 means past a year. So there we are. Neat. Once a week for over a year. When I started this, I was uh redhead. Much younger, man. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even grow a beard. I couldn't even grow stubble. Anyways. All right. Should we do announcements? Yeah, man. Let's do announcements. All right. So I, I threw two out there. Um, Bob Everson. Bob is part of the Misdirected Mark crew. And, um, is Sean it, and is it given, Everson or Everson? I think it might be Everson. Ooh, Bob will correct me if I am totally off there. Bob So e. Bob, Bob, if I am wrong, please stomp on me there. But... We were given uh, Chris and Phil some shit from uh, one episode they had where they had a little uh, little spat, a little lover, lover's quarrel. We gave them a little bit of crap, but we, you know, Sean and I like to rib them. They rib us back and forth, and uh, I, the joke was, oh, my God, that was the last misdirected mark they're totally going to break up. Clearly, they're not going to break up, and, of course, they did not. They had a really good episode after that fact, but um, as I was bantering with the guys, um, Bob called on and said, you know, there was some talk about maybe – mixing personalities back and forth between the shows. You said, you know, with the three of us over here at Mr. Actor Mark and you two over there, we're like the Voltron of RPG podcasting. So I think we've assigned um, Sean and Bob are the legs. I'm the one. Um, Chris has picked. He's the red lion arm. I'm the other one and Phil's the head. So I think we've got that lined What's up. What's Voltron? <clears throat> I'll tell you later, old man. Okay. <laughs> the other one is... Um, I believe, if I if my Google Foo is correct, the Canadian version of Thanksgiving is tomorrow, the twelfth. Uh, so this is October eleventh. More when we are recording, it will drop a little bit late uh, for us to say this. But hey, happy uh, late in this case uh, Thanksgiving to Mo Tusano, the Canadian god of gaming, the game father up there, and any other other Canadian listeners. Hope you guys had a good one. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, Canada. Exactly. They're, yeah. Uh, okay. Sweet. The Depl- plighter and much nicer version of Sean and Brett. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get into a random encounter, shall we? Random encounter. Do it. Random encounter where we field emails, voice moils, social media <laughs> from listeners, uh, from our blog, and Doing comments. it over a year. We, we, we've got this down, wired after I, years of practice. I cannot. How do you pronounce that? E moils? E-moils. And voice moils. Voice moils, social media. (laughs) Jeez. Nice. Uh, Right. You got the first one. I read I I talked last time. This is all you, brother. Oh, I see. All right. Uh, Chris from Misdirected Mark uh, podcast comments on our blog. Uh, Episode 56, Player Control. And he defines... A definition of agency. Agency is the capacity of an entity, a person or other entity, human or any living being in general, or soul consciousness in religion, to act in any given environment. 
That, that's a lot more succinct than what you and I tried to do. Has everybody so that got that? That's better. All right. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. So, well, let's absorb that for a second, and then let's get into it, right? Player agency in the context, in the context of gaming is the agency of a player to have their character act in any given environment. Mechanics like the Benny or the Fate Point. So the Benny is regarding Savage Worlds mechanic and Fate. Uh, fate Point is in Fate. Function as a way for the players to have their character succeed in whatever they're attempting, which is a kind of agency. Fate Points can also be spent to also create minor things in the character's environment. The create an advantage action allows for another kind of agency where the player can use their character to create something within the environment. So touching on that, that is that is the, I get behind the bar and I pull out the shotgun without the GM saying there's a shotgun there. Yep, throw the fate point down, boom, there's a shotgun there because I said so. Right, great players. That's why I don't play fate. I don't like people that come up with ideas on their own. Damn. Unless it happens to be their character background because they came from a certain town. Let's name the town, Sean. Make it up. That's fine. Oh, but right. now you're in a fight. Anyway, carry right. on. Yes. Keep reading. Keep reading. Keep, keep, um, keep on keeping on. All right. Um, to create an advantage action. Okay. I already mentioned that. Now the GM is a gatekeeper here because they set the difficulties of that occurring. Ah. Ah. Of course, it's never quite as easy as I make it out to be. There's always a little bit of extra on it keep going in scene setting games like fiasco the players have a lot of agency because they're creating the scenes in fact if you want an example where there's a gm then drama system allows for the players to set up and create scenes as does primetime adventures that is another kind of agency a lot of games use the gm as the gatekeeper to agency with the whole can i do this shtick So agency comes in a bunch of varieties. All games have some agency, but how much agency and who has control over the agency varies from game to game. Some players aren't comfortable with having agency to create by spending resources or without the GM's approval. Some GMs aren't comfortable with the players having so much control without their approval. This guy. Uh, some GM, oh, I already mentioned that. It once again boils down to what kind of play experience are you looking for? But as a designer and player of games, it raises some interesting questions and provides for a different kind of game. Chris needs that. Was good. Yeah, that was good stuff from Chris. Yeah, I, uh, I think we said that. I think we summed that up, really. Yeah, I mean, in our usual method, it took us about an hour and a half to get to the point. Like, you know what? Depends what you want. Um, but right. I think one of the things one of our other um, listeners posted out there. God, I'm forgetting who it was. It might have been, might have been Tim Jensen. I'm maybe misquoting, but anyway, one of the gentlemen posted out there who listens to us and said, you know, kind of. I think it was Tim talking about different types of um, <clears throat> agency again, and it struck me as it's like a it's a piece if you're going to review a role playing game, right? It's a legitimate question when you're reading a new game. You're explaining it to someone saying. How does player agency play in this game? What mechanics are there? What narratives are there? What freedoms are allowed? What comes prepackaged in there? And uh, looking at that, and then I could see where Sean and I were were to tear through a new game and say, you know what? Brett may like this version of the game, of this game, because, hey, the agency component really fits in my mold. And Sean would be like, you know what? I don't necessarily like the extra power that this is giving a player, so this may or may not be the game for me. 
So just another way to, when you're reading through a game, not only things like, hey, simple fight mechanics, easy skill tests, so on and so forth, but the types of player agency that a game may provide is going to, especially if there are mechanical components of it, is going to influence how the game is played. Cool. So we got a voicemail next. We do. Let me see if I can pull this off. Thank you. You can get that. Hey, guys. It's Joe, somebody else, calling in again. I was just putting everything on random rather than starting at one and listening forward because, well, different that way. And uh, episode 36, at the beginning, you were talking about the guy that was wanting to get back into gaming and start with his kids and whatnot. And I wanted to toss out there that Eloy Lasanta of Third Eye Games has made a couple of kid-specific RPGs. I think the one that was kickstarted in the last year or two was Mermaid Adventures, and it did pretty well. Uh, there are some others out there, and Eloy actually really likes to do stuff like that, so you might want to reach out to him and talk to him about stuff like that. Uh, anyway, just wanted to toss that out there. Also, I know you guys are really big into the dice bags, and one I wanted to mention is called the All Rolled Up. Uh, I actually made one myself, but the uh, ones made by the maker are so much better. Anyway, give them a give them an eye, see what you think. Talk to you guys later. Bye. All right, thanks, Joe, for um, the voicemail. And then uh, the tip, I th- I don't remember who it was for the, was it, it might've been um, Jeff Rademacher, wasn't he I looking for was, kids? I think it was Jeff, yeah, because he started playing with his kids. And that's a good point. Eloy does have some good kids stuff out there. I know there are, there are more and more role-playing games, I think, especially, I hate to say indie, indie market's the only term that's coming to my mind right now, but some of the smaller press games, small book games, as they're sometimes called, there's more stuff in that space that's more kid-friendly. There's kid-friendly topics and other things out there. So that's good stuff. I have, uh, Joe, somebody, I have also heard of, um, <clears throat> I have heard of the All Rolled Up, and I believe uh, Phil Vecchione over at Misdirected Mark has one of those, and I have been eyeballing those. Uh, Mermaid Adventures, Camp Myth, and Infestation. Misdirected Mark helps us out there. Cool. Yeah, and uh, ro- All Rolled Up, I've seen those. I haven't purchased one. Have you seen them before, Brett? I have seen them before online. I've never seen one in person, but they strike me as pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's it's one other thing that I need to have that may or may not get used uh, along with my 3x5 index card cases and my five different dice bags. It's, it's and... gamer swag, dude. There's a certain point where you're like, look, I'm going to have this thing. Are you going to use it? That really doesn't matter. What, what matters That's... is that I need it. That is fair. That is, that fair. is totally fair. I mean, hey, I mean, I could, let's look at it this way. I could have a, you know, $500 a day drug addiction, or I could spend things on, you know, $20 a day on gaming stuff or whatever that looks like. Well, as they say, get your kid into gaming and he'll never have money for drugs. So there you go. The more you know, <laughs> Absolutely. The, the more, more you, know. you know, family tips from Brett. Exactly. That's why I get all my kids into gaming. They can't. They have time to fuck about at school. They're like too busy worrying about how to buy the the next uh, splat book or something. All right. Next up, Angela Murray threw us some episode fifty six feedback as well. Angela. So Angela says, so often when I'm listening to you guys, I wish I could interject and point uh, and add a point or two to the conversation. She ends that sentence with a smiley face, folks. And I think what she means is I really like to throttle Brett and Sean through the mics because they're wrong. <laughs> Oh, right. Angela goes on to say, when Sean went off on players actually wanting to start off with competent characters, I really wanted to jump in, i.e. wanted to throttle Sean. 
I get what he's saying, but I think there's another side to consider. <clears throat> Excuse me. In my 40s, I work a full-time job. I'm working on buying a house. There's a whole bunch of adult responsibilities between me and the gaming table. When I actually do get a chance to sit down at the table, I really don't have any interest in being a noob. I want to be a badass and do something awesome. I've been there and done that when it comes to starting as a farmer with a stick. That's not really a character I'm interested in exploring again. Most of my game group feels the same way. We really don't have time to invest in gaming like we did when we were teenagers and could play multiple times a week. We're lucky if we get one game session in a month, so having to wait until a character is competent is honestly boring and annoying. When I run a game, I assume the characters are competent unless there's a specific reason to assume they are not. Um, the historical professor from 1918 isn't going to be very good at trying to research anything online in 2015, for example. There's plenty of interesting stuff to explore and do this. Nothing to do with the characters being a bunch of bumbling idiots. Angel, that's a good point. And I actually, um, Sean and I have talked about this offline before, and I've got that. It's, uh, I think Angela may win the no prize for, <laughs> for spawning a couple episodes here, at least two of them. Cause I think this is a topic we've definitely got to talk about it. Um, a little bit more is that kind of do you start off badass or you crawl your way from nothing to badassness at some point so i think it's uh it's cool and it, it does talk to as we've said many times and other people and you know instructor marcus said it and other people have said it's the type of gameplay you want and being honest about that up front is really going to help right if you want to do <clears throat> if you want to do the slow climb it could be really really cool um but if you like to sit down and start off as badasses, you know, you, you, you can totally, and there's games out there that absolutely support both of those types of play. So cool stuff. Thank you, Angela. Good stuff. So, yeah, I think that if you want to be Billy or Billy Jane badass, that's fine. I guess I get it. You don't want to start at level one and trip over and kill yourself. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Do your thing, Angela. Nice. You know, that's that's cool, though. I can understand. That's why people play Pathfinder, man. Or even D&D &D to some extent. I mean, Or Dungeon modern. Crawl Classic. Some people love oh. the funnel, right? Just as, you know, I think we got Sneezak on the side here at the Misdirected Mark um, <clears throat> login there. Yep, he, he, he claims it. So the DCC funnel is that whole, you know, the you come in as a stick and then get crushed. Um, and then end up being the best peasant with a stick in, in your little cadre and you get to work yourself up. So think, again, it's a type of game you want to play. I think when I, when you play that game though, when a character makes third level, man, that thing's like, yeah. Next I, topic. Next topic. My moving dude on, is third on, level, no, man. Stop, topic. stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Oh. All right. Keep going. What your I, turn. What am I crossing? Matt wrote in. Don't, don't, don't cross the streams, man. What? Okay. Total protonic reversal. Don't cross the streams. Keep going. Wow. Wow, and I don't even know what to do now. All right, um, I guess. Um, don't make me hit you again. Mo mo <laughs> moving on, um, Matt, Matt Martinez writes regarding voluntary versus involuntary death. Ooh, that was an episode. Uh, that was in 56. These are all 56 going forward here. Uh, I could have sworn I'd seen a rule in a game somewhere in which a PC who is reduced to zero hit points or whatever the equivalent for that game would be is allowed to use his final breath to do some kind of badass move like an extra powerful attack or to throw himself or herself into harm's way for another character. In other words, it kind of splits the difference in that it's not the player's choice for his character to die, but he does have a choice in how he or she dies. 
Unfortunately, I couldn't find it in any of the rule books I personally own, so could anyone tell me if this is an actual rule or if I just made it up? Well, uh, so yes, I've heard that before. I can't remember the, that may even just be a house rule. I don't know. I like it though. That sounds pretty cool. That's kind of neat. Yeah. I've, I've heard that before and I don't know if it's an official rule or what system it is, but I, I have heard that before. So, uh, even if it is just homebrew moving on, uh, continuing with Matt on a separate note, the concept of a PC being possessed came, came up early on as an example of removing character agency. So in that episode he's referencing, we were talking about the GM taking away control from the player and the player character, like when they're charmed or under a spell of some kind and that forfeits them to not do what is typically in control or whatever. Well, the number of spells and mind-altering things yes. that happen, curses and, you know, you could be geezed, all sorts of stuff that could force you to take a certain action that you normally would not want to take. So coincidentally enough, there were things... I think that very thing happened in a D&D game in which I was a player not too long ago. The player whose character was possessed became visibly and audibly frustrated over the fact that he was often unable to control what his character was doing and came very close to handling, handing his character sheet over to the DM. There were definitely several moments when he had his phone out during the game and the DM had to politely ask him to put it away. It was definitely a good lesson for me as far as what sorts of things to avoid when I'm the DM. Yeah. I think that uh, that's actually, I think um, Matt may have given us yet another topic to discuss, but there is, um, I think there's a limit there, right? If you take it too far and sometimes it's that thing we've talked about before, we've got to be able to have a table read. You're looking across at the poor guy or, or lady who's sitting there and, you know, <laughs> you've taken over her character and, you know, Sally's looking at you like, really, how much freaking longer does this take? You know, I mean, oh, my God, it just it feels interfering and so forth without having any chance to break free of it and so forth. So anyway, I think that's um, there's it, there's a time and a place for it. But sometimes there's a uh, it can be overdone. And if it starts wrecking people's fun, that's going to impact the rest of the table. So it's a it's a it's a rope to walk or a line to walk or however you want to describe it, but I, I get it. Number one spell for Sean's NPCs, magic users in D and D, charm person. Coming at you, coming at you, Brett Kevthulu. All right, Steve, good day. <laughs> nice. Make a roll. Don't fail. Otherwise, oh. you're gonna become my buddy. All right. All right. Next up, Victor Wyatt comments. I think the problem Brett is having, I have a lot of problems, but Victor seems to have spotted one, um, with things like fate points is the scope of what they're used for. They're not used by a player to affect what the big bad might do. They're used to affect how the story impacts their character's decisions in the fiction of the game. I think concrete examples really help with understanding what fate points do. They aren't freebies or ways to get around something they don't like the GM, the GM doing. They're ways for leverage and for complicating the fiction. Here's an example of what I mean. <clears throat> Victor says, you're playing a character that has a special aspect called, quote, I'm not an alcoholic, unquote, because your character has a problem with the drink and is in complete den denial. Or is it Party the fine? player? <clears throat> is it the player character? <clears throat> The character. We're going to character. Oh, okay. Um, your party finds themselves in a bar to interrogate a suspect that could give them the name of the big bad. The GM could do a couple of things here. One, they could offer a fate point to the player to have their character fall off the wagon. They should award a fate point if the player has their character fall off the wagon without the GM actually bringing it up. And if the GM doesn't notice the player putting his character at risk, the player has the right to ask for the fate point. 
the player has a couple options. One, they can turn down the fate point to stay clean because they're there to do a job. Nobody gets a fate point to use for the future, but nobody gets an aspect put on them that could give the other side a point when rolling against them. They could accept the fate point and jump on their addiction with full force and gaining the aspect drunk as a skunk. Um, this can cause trouble with their intentions uh, for being in the bar in the first place, but it gain, gains them a fate point for future use. Anyone can use this aspect if it will help them in a related role, including the player under the aspect. It could be used by the target to befuddle them, or it could be used by them to take a drunken swing at the target if needed. Both of these will give the player, uh, will give the rolling player or GM a plus one on the roll. The player can spend their already accumulated fade points to do a couple of things instead. Whew. <clears throat> one, they could give a fade point to the GM to get a bonus point in rolls to convince the target to let loose with the big bad's name by risking his character sobriety while sharing a drink with the NPC. We'll give a uh, PC an aspect called going out on a limb. Both player and GM can use that aspect in rolls during the interaction. Two, they could give a fade point to the GM for have a drinking contest with an NPC, trust the PC's tolerances over the NPCs, put the aspect... Loose lips, loose lips sink the boss on the NPC. This allows everyone at the table to use bonus points and rolls regarding the NPC. Uh, three, they could give fate points to the GM to drop hints that they already know who the big bad is and make the NPC scared for his life and hopes that he drops the big bad's names. It's also just an aspect that adds to the rolls. It, four, if the character came to the bar with the aspect, I intend to get blitzed from a previous scene, the player could spend fate point to remove the aspect and keep their eye on the job at hand. Doing so would remove a potential point for the GM when rolling against them in that scene. Whew. Good examples, though, dude. I have not played fate, <laughs> and that helped. I, I tracked think, that. And I tracked that and it helped. We're gonna put this in the. We're gonna put this in the uh, show notes so others do, can read. Do it you think Victor help. knows what the hell he's talking about, or <laughs> he would seem to have a com, a level of competency at that game that I clearly he do not. Definitely has some insight. Whoo! So the things the players he wraps up with the things the players cannot do. The fate point is to give one to the GM and tell them the NPC caves in and tells us about the big bad, or tell them I don't like that. It didn't happen. Because there are leverage and not freebies, I like them. If they were just freebies, I would not use them at all. Leverage complicates the game. Freebies gimp the game. One's fun, the other isn't. So, and I, I think it is, and I don't think he used the word in that entire spiel was, uh, it's the compel, right? Isn't it the compel mechanic? I don't know. Yep. That's okay. That's all right, though. That was good. That was good stuff. That yeah. helped. It, all right. Yeah. Whew. I need a break. You read. All right. Uh, Anthony Von Dessauer. Dessauer? This hour on Facebook, Facebook, Boop. I think it's uh, one of our few comments on the, on the Facebook. Very cool though. Regards to player agency. The conversation seemed to focus mostly on player death and the player's control over it. Yeah, it kind of did. In my opinion, a fundamental component of having fun is risk and reward. Players must know that at any time their choices could lead to their death. I agree. If you're just going to kind of, you know, it's, there's no death, you know, and that's, I, th I think players think there's going to be death, even, even if the GM is like, I'm not going to kill anybody in this campaign, and he or she just doesn't tell anybody. But because if everybody knew that there was no way to die, they would be doing all kinds of goofy crap. It depends, and part of that comes down to the group and the game you're trying to play, right? There are certain games when death really isn't a thing, but that's not the point of the game. And if you've got a group that's like, look, I, I don't care. I'm still going to do character specific things. I don't, I'm not going to meta my way into this and say, Hey, 
you can't kill me anyway, motherfucker. So I'm going to jump in front of the dragon. You can't kill me anyway. So I jump in the napalm. Right. You know, you're not going to do that because I'm not going to med it. I'm going to be a good person. Well, and if I'm the GM, I'm going to wipe the earth with that person's player character. Yeah, because you're a dick. Carry well, on. Come on. I mean, those <laughs> things are like, hey, oh, moving train. Hey, oh, hey. Moving get train. train. Get on the show train. Moving train. You get through, you get throw yourself in front of that sucker. It's not gonna it's not gonna stop. It's not gonna all right. Keep going. Players must know what any at let me make sure I figure out where I was. Players must know that at any time their choices could lead to their death. Yes. In our current campaign, Curse of Silver Lake, when my guys rolled their characters, I told them, and he quotes have fun, but don't name your characters after your kids or anything because I'll feel bad when I kill the crap out of them. <laughs> End quote. Okay. I like that approach. <clears throat> no matter how powerful a player character is, they need to feel that they are vulnerable to death or else the game will switch to easy mode, if you catch my meaning. And the result will become that choices they make have no meaning because there's no risk. In order to be excited about an upside, there has to be a meaning- meaningful downside. I concur. Your players should feel like they survived, not that they pwned, in my opinion. As far as non-death decisions and players just making things up, for example, the wine bottle being full, it's a case-by-case basis. If the player is using their imagination, I tend not to interfere unless they're attempting to, quote-unquote, make up a significant advantage. Uh, The overall effect on the campaign's story is marginal, considering that the players generally derail it anyway. It's part of the fun. Keep up the good work. Happy hunting. Anthony from The Curse of Silver Lake. And I believe that's an actual, I think he has a podcast that may be actual play. So uh, I think he does. If you do, if you want to check out an actual play, um, check out Anthony's podcast. So there's an interesting thing. We've talked about this before. Austin brought this up in our, um, we talked about character death in a different episode. Austin brought it up in the, in the, uh, Google Plus community. And it's that concept of, again, depending on the type of story you want to tell, you don't necessarily, death isn't the only risk. Sometimes there's other risks. I remember playing vampire. It's fucking harder than hell to kill vampires, but you can risk people's social status. Um, you can risk uh, finances. There's all sorts of different things you can do to really impact them with consequences. Thank you, Chris. You don't necessarily just have to hit people. Um, hit people in the, oh my God, I almost died. You can do, look, you did this and you left yourself open and now you're a pauper. You've got no money. Oh, guess what? That knighthood you just had, that was stripped of you because you acted the coward. And there's other ways to impact people with risk. So when I did play Vampire, and I think I talked about this, I never killed anybody like out of hand back in the day. It was all about when they did certain things, I took stuff away from them, you know, took money, prestige, property, Things that they had or that they're working towards, they're building up to try to get this thing crushed that get that ended up getting destroyed because of a bad decision. So the consequences hit them there. So, but I do get it um, that you can, and I think we touched about on this a little bit before, and Kevin mentioned this too. If you play with good players, and this is, I don't know how else to do it quickly here before we get into the sponsor, but if you're playing with good players, you don't have system abuse because the people are there to play the game, have fun. And work, you know, and work at that together and, and do all that stuff. And they're not there to pwn the system. They're not there to be complete assheads and, you know, beat the game in some way. That's just not it. So, all right. Well, thanks for that editorial, Brett. 
Thank you. I think I got another episode out of that one. We'll see what we can do. Sponsor time. Teaser. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors. You name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order. At the website, grayedout, that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. All right, so I didn't do an intro tonight for this one because it was going to be way too hard to figure out what the uh, how I was going to do it. I had, I had something in mind, but it would have taken me probably two hours to come up with like a 30-second bit. So we're doing it old-fashioned old style. We're doing old school. We're going back to the beginning. All right, topic of discussion. Jeff Rademacher. One of our uh, one of our listeners, obviously, um, from my hometown of Wausau, Wisconsin. He went to uh, Wausau West. Not everybody cares about this, but I'm just telling you right now anyway. Anyhow, he's talking about how do you go from being a player to a game master? Um, he used to be a uh, <clears throat> excuse me, used to be a you know hardcore player. Now he's starting to to get into the game mastering component a little bit more. And so he's like, how did you or how do you do that? And if nothing else, is a good time for Sean and I to uh, you know. Wax nostalgic about what brought us from point A to point B, but uh, Sean, I think uh, I think we can uh, give this one a whirl and see what we can do. What do you think? I concur. Awesome. Yeah. So, so I never, I was never a player. I was born a GM. Came out DM guy bam. in my hand. Came out crapping D twenties and right out of the gate. I learned save save versus die was my first uh my first, first phrase, words. First words. Well, yeah, save or die. That was it. <laughs> right there. That's Sean as a baby. That's good. So Sean, I started as a player and uh I did Get you as out well. of here, really? Yeah, totally. Oh, did sweet, you as man. well or, or or were you the guy that bought the game and said, Oh, I'm gonna learn how to run this thing so I can run it for my friends? No, I was a player. No. I, was uh-huh. a player. I was a player. I think a lot of people I uh, started it like, you I mean, unless you're in, um, you're in an isolated area and you come across this cool thing called D and D or whatever it was at the time that you grew up and there is nobody doing it. And then you were the one that introduced your friends to the game. Then you were probably the GM. And then who knows if you've got to play since then, some, some probably just kind of take on the GM role forever. What's interesting is that if I look back at the different gaming groups I played with from when I started in grade school, middle school, high school, and so forth, I I never I don't know if I met Gamer Zero out of one of those groups. Everybody learned by somebody else. I think the closest I get is my buddy Todd's older brother Terry. I think he was the one who bought AD and D first and started it. But otherwise, everybody like oh I learned from somebody else and. So I, I've I've never met Gamer Zero out of any of my groups who was the first person to pick up the game and run it. So interesting. Now that I think about it, or at least it's interesting to me anyway. I think we've had. I think we had. I don't know. I don't. I think we had one that was that picked it up, and there was some a group of older older kids that got into it, but then they were actually they got out of it when I started getting into it. So. They started getting into other things when they were growing up. 
So, Sean, when you're playing, what made you want to go from player to game master? Was there something that you said, hey, look, I don't like this. I'm going to do this other thing. What made you want to flip from one side of the screen to the other? Just the absolute control? I think it was control, man. <laughs> control. I don't know. As Janet would say, Miss Jackson, oh, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. If you're nasty. Yes, yes, yes. I know. I think it, uh, you know, the GM piece of it is interesting because you can, you can create stuff. It's kind of the create creative side of role-playing games. I don't know. I, I, it was a big hurdle though. It was a big leap. Cause I, I, the, the thing was that a lot of the people that I grew up with, I said, Hey, I'll, so growing up, we had a GM or a DM and if they didn't show up or they couldn't play, we didn't play. So that got really old really quick if that person couldn't play. So somebody added, like, who's going to do it? That was actually how I ended up doing it for my group was at one point, my buddy Eric couldn't make it. Terry couldn't game. And those are usually the two game masters. And I'm like, well, I can do this. I, I know how to run d and I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, and I, I ran a game for them, and they were fucking brutal. They were just they – were, that was like the meanest batch of players I've ever had. They were horrible horrible people <clears throat> they went from being friends of mine that i've gamed with for a number of years to complete assholes on the other side of the screen they were just combative and disruptive it was not fun but again it was i became the game master partly because i needed to fill the role there there was a hole no one could do it and i'm like oh okay I've, I've read all the rules and so on i did also because my sister wanted to play and my mom and my father wanted to give it a shot. She's like, oh, you're doing this thing? Yeah, I'd like to try it. And I'm like, oh, um, I can't get Eric or Terry or these other kids to show up. So I'll, I'll read my red box and I'll, I'll, I'll run. You know. So I did actually run D&D for my family for a short period. And it's not my dad's thing, but my mom and my sister loved it. And then when I got Middle Earth role playing, my mom being a big Tolkien, that, that was totally right up her alley. That was a lot of fun. But I think, to get back to the question, hey, what made you want a Game Master... After you did that, Sean, you, you kind of filled the gap. Someone needed to do it. Dude, and you got a taste and you got a taste for the power behind the screen. It was all was about it like, the power, man. Just and now you're just chasing oh. that dragon. Is that it? Oh. It's like it's like the opium den, right? You're just chasing the dragon trying to get that same high you had the first time. Oh. Man, I got a taste. I couldn't couldn't stop, man. Couldn't stop it. <laughs> nice. It uh uh, you know, I don't know. It was um, it was fun. I, it was a challenge, though. GMing is not for the lighthearted. You got to put yourself out there, and you've got to just kind of go with it and not be worried about the. Uh, you can't be self conscious. If you're self conscious, it'll it'll tear you up, and you're just gonna spin your wheels. I think. Yeah, and the the other component was this is you know again Sean and I show our age. <clears throat> there were not a ton of different. There was no internet. There was no group of people that could say, oh, here's how you shorten your prep. Here's how you, here's some pre-made this, here's some pre-made that. If you wanted a something pre-made, you went out and bought a TSR module. You went out and bought an adventure that was published for whatever the game was you're running. But there was no, there was no decent place to grab data. I mean, <clears throat> other than the group you were playing with or something like that, there was really no, or maybe at the game store. I didn't really have a game store in my hometown. There were a couple of bookstores and hobby shops that carried components of it, but most of the people that worked there didn't know shit about them, other than the fact that they sold and then they just had them there. But um, I think, so I liked, for me, <clears throat> stepping behind the screen was not, not necessarily a power thing, but 
one of the problems I used to have with Game Masters, and this is the same problem I, I still have with Game Masters when they run, is someone will be doing something like, they'll, something will occur, I'm like, oh, in my head, I'm like, this thing would be so cool right now. X is occurring, if I could do this, if I was behind the screen, I would rather do this. This would be so much fun. And then the Game Master goes, no, we're going to do this other thing. And then they have, you know, whatever it is that they've got planned. So for me, I started kind of logging away in my head, my buddies who would run and stuff. I'm like, God, that was boring. Or that wasn't very exciting. There's a better way to do this. I started logging that away in my noggin saying, you know what? When next time when I run and this type of thing comes up, I'm going to do what I think would be more exciting. I'm going to try to make a game that I would want to play in. You know, there is something to be said about a lot of things in life where if you, I mean, we do this podcast and maybe, maybe good or bad example, who knows, but there are a lot of things that people will undertake because they think that their experience on the other side is not that great, right? So it's like you play in a game, the GM sucks all the time for whatever reason. You're like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot because I think I can do it better or different, and then they try it and hopefully they they can maybe do it better. I mean, I don't know. Some people will do it, think they're going to do it better. They do it and then they're like, other people may think, like, really, you're not that much better. You know what I'm saying? Because well, I think it's like. Your first, it's your first time out, right? Is You're trying something for the first time. And the first time you got behind the wheel of a car, you realize, wow, I'm not a better driver than my old man or my or my mom or right. whatever. I, I, I don't know how to drive. This is not this is not good. I'm not Mario Andretti. I'm not this guy. I can. But they, oh, they may not even. Ride, can't they, be that hard to ride a motorcycle. They <laughs> may, they may not even out. know it, though. No. Right. <laughs> they, they they not, because unless you're giving feedback, like constructive feedback right. versus I, the guys I played with who just fucking jumped down my throat, and tried to rip my spine I, out. I think that's every game I, I GM. Like, I think, hey, I'm going to GM, I got this. And then I probably aren't really that, I'm not that great after all. <laughs> Listen to podcasts. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. And then I don't do it. Well, or, I'll tell you, though, one of the things now to get to Jeff's kind of, I think the root of his question is how to do it. <clears throat> As I kind of alluded to, there's so much really, really cool advice that's available. There are podcasts, there's live play. Live play is a really good way if you want to run a game for a system and you're like, hey, I've never run five D and D five E before. Is there a live is there a live play out there somewhere? Look around and find a podcast that's doing live play of it. Look around, talk, you know, find a podcast like, you know, down with D and D that the Misdirector Mark guys do. Um, grab that type of thing and you can learn a lot about the game, the ins and outs, and some of those components. And if you want to figure out some of the cool indie stuff, you know, she's a super geek. We've talked about th about that group. And those ladies are pulling out some really cool games. And if you want to figure out how they're doing it or how an actual how a game could could run, actual play is great. Podcasts are great. <clears throat> you get good advice and so on. There's a ton of books, website, Gnome Stew. Um, there's all this great data. Problem though is you can get data overload, like just fucking crazy. So what you have to do is, and I think, Sean, you're alluding to this, is that when you, you listen to that podcast, that was a really cool thing. It's a really good idea. I like this piece. I just read this article on Gnome Stew, and she's a super geek, did this really cool freaking thing. I'm going to try that. And now you have 10 cool things you want to try to cram into your next game session that may well be a bit too much, right? So my advice is that what I start to do now when I see cool things or I hear something really cool and I've got a running list 
of different shit I want to try. Some of the different types of hard choices that we've talked about here and that I've heard from other groups and different things I've seen. I say, you know what, the next the next game I run or the next session I run, I'm going to take this one and maybe this other one. I grab two, no more than two, and this is just Brett's preference, that I'm going to try to do in the next game. Because for me, I need to not only focus on making sure everything's running, take care of the rules, the regular plot, all the other cool stuff that's going down, and then to also try to interject different tricks and methods and ways things can be done. I don't really have the capacity to cram in any more than two new things in one session. So I think, Jeff, what I would say to you would be like, if you hear something cool from us or Misdirected Mark or any other podcast, you hear someone Robin, um, Ken and Robin talk about stuff or something, or you read an article and you say, boy, this is really, really cool to do. Grab a couple, write them down and just pick one. Pick two, maybe. Pick one and then maybe one, an extra and just work those in. Don't try to cram too much in at once. There, I totally belabor that point, but there you go. All right. Well, I think that's it, right? <laughs> nice. So, Sean, if you were going to do, if you're going to say, hey, somebody says, I want to play. I want a Game Master, excuse me. I want uh-huh. to step out from beyond. this side of the screen. I want to flip around. Right. Um, what would you tell them to do to start strong? How would you do that? Well, first of all, start listening to GamingNBS.com. Well, duh. Right. So get a good okay. podcast like us. Start Mi- at one. Listen mis- forward. Misdirected Mark, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and actually, honestly, you could probably buy a few books from uh, the, the, uh, the those guys. Uh, you know. Yeah. Odyssey some of those. You know, some of the. Uh, the yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That, you know, the, uh, the trilogy there. Right. Yes. How to do a campaign, how to do good player session. Yes. You know, some of those actually aren't probably bad books. Um, Hamlet's hit points, although I have never read that. I Uh, have. It's, it's not bad. It's very, it's much more, I would say lack of better phrase off top of my head, cerebral. It's a little more, um, uh, shit, kind of a, uh, God, more educated is a, makes it sound like, like it's a dissertation or something, but anyway, it's a different approach. It's beat structure, pacing. Thank you, Chris. Um, it's a very breakdown of um, how stories function. Uses the play Hamlet to go through that for you. Yeah. It, so the engine publishing, if you go to yes, you you. Google engine publishing, they have some books out there. Um, uh, uh, you know, Phil Vecchione is one of among a few different authors of some of those books. But Absolutely. anyways, so that's. That's one, um, I think, by playing in other people's campaigns. So if you go to cons, play in a lot of different games, you can learn the different games, you can kind of get a different flavor for other other games and how they're run um, and other GMs' approaches. Even if you always play Pathfinder, if you play Pathfinder at a con, somebody may be running it a little bit differently than 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 you do. Uh, I think that's one. I think actual plays nowadays is, is a no-brainer. Um, I actually listened to a few. Um, one shot is good because one shot does a series. They'll do like three episodes on their podcast. So just Google one shot podcast and they will pick a game. Um, they may even have the person who developed the game or designed the game. Like Ken Height did um, Trail of Cthulhu. No, Agent, Knights Black Agency did on one shot. And he actually GM'd the game. That's for, right. For that group. So it's typically, you know, three to four episodes and you get a good kind of idea. It depends on how much the actual play gets into the mechanics. Most of them may not. They'll they'll kind of narrate it. Um, 
they may not tell you more of the dice mechanics. They'll kind of just say, okay, give me a roll. Uh, what did you roll? Great. Excellent. So it's not going to tell you like, oh, you roll this and then you add this. And then, I mean, there's other videos and shows that may get into the nuances a little bit, but uh, at least then you can kind of get the flow of how the game rolls. Uh, no pun, pun intended? I don't know. Not intended. <laughs> so the other thing I would say is that when we've talked about this before and just the concept of what kind of game does your group want to want to want to do what kind of you know story artifacts at the end of it do you want to have told and all that stuff there is the look i'm going to run this game and my kids wanted to play D with me and they specifically said i want to play dungeons and dragons that sounds like fun they see all my D books they see my D miniatures they see my pathfinder stuff they want to play that game <clears throat> that's what you started playing right dad yes that's what i started playing i want to do what you did okay would they have potentially liked um another older game like Rollmaster better would they have liked um D 5e better i don't know they wanted to play the game i'd started with so i pulled out my red box and i ran frank mensner's red box basic and they had a blast they loved it and they said oh what are this what's this advanced D thing well that's what this is so we pulled that out we ran some games with that um do you want to should we try second edition or third or any of that i said well if you want to i do have fifth which is the latest oh let's play the latest one so now we're playing 5e They've started looking at the other stuff on my shelf and asking, oh, what's this game? What's this top secret thing? What's this Knight's Black Agents? You got a lot of vampire stuff. And what's this Call of Cthulhu? They know what Cthulhu is. I got, you know, Cthulhu stuffed dolls and crap around my office here. So, well, and it goes along with your cult robe. That does. <laughs> totally, totally matches that. Yeah. And, and the goats in the backyard that I sacrifice wow. every, every full moon. Well, of course. But it's, anyway, it's the, um, it's the hunting, <laughs> yes, hunting, hunting thing, air quotes. <laughs> but if you, have a group that is a traditional they play a lot of D pathfinder and you want to get in and you playing with these guys you like what's happening you're having a lot of fun the game master can't make it and instead of being stuck with nobody you can say look i'll step in and i'll run the game you guys are playing because we're having fun with this my thought is that if you have a group one you're lucky because you already have an idea of what they like how they like to play in the systems that they like and if you've been with them long enough you know the depth and breadth of the system library that that group is to- will tolerate. Grab what interests you as game master and start running that game. As long as the group is, you know, hey, we've totally played Top Secret before. We haven't done that in a long time. You like espionage? Let's do an espionage game. Let's do that. Or let's do spycraft or whatever. Great. Do that. I would not want to break out some indie game, something like... Um, um, what's the uh, Night Witches? Dungeon I would now, World. Dungeon World. Dungeon World actually would be a good one. Yeah, it would the, be a good the one. works on that. So that I'm going to get to that in a second. So to crack into a a gaming group that already exists, find out what they like and kind of roll in that. Once you get in there and they like what you're doing, you've tried some of these other things, <clears throat> different concepts or ideas of how to build story and all that stuff. Then you can say, Hey, I'm going to bring out Fiasco. We're going to try this. I'm going to bring out. Um, a gumshoe game or something. The other thing to do then is, Sean, you just mentioned at Dungeon World, you have someone who comes up and says, yeah, I'd like to try one of those role-playing games, D&D or something. I know there's a lot of stuff. I don't know. I don't know anything about them. I haven't read any of them. What do you want to do? And if you don't have any preference, I do believe I've reread Dungeon World a couple times, and I really do think Dungeon World is a hell of a good starter game that can last you a lifetime. I think that's a really good game. Sean, you've played more, than, more of it than I have. Yes, I have. 
Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, I, I care to expound. I might, I'm going to try to bring it to game hole. I, I really hope I have enough time. Um, I don't know. We'll see, but I'm going to try to bring it to game hole con. Cause I think there's a lot of people that haven't played it, but they've heard a lot about it. Um, and, um, you know, it's a little different than some of the, what the mainstream pe- folks are playing anyways. I do also think that one way you could get into GMing is maybe running a board game that may help facilitate at like a and d feel like Descent. Yes. Or Rebel, uh, was it Rebel Assault? So those games are board games. They're very strictly defined as board games, but you have an individual Imperial Assault. Thank you, Langstang, in the chat room. Um, you have a you have a referee ish person who's in charge of the baddies, and uh, you have the people have kind of like a little cardboard, a five by seven cardboard that kind of outlines the stats of the character. So it's it's more mechanical than anything, but you could say, hey, if you're kind of interested in how this works, there's a little bit more of a an immersive kind of imaginary type of game, like role-playing games, that maybe will incorporate some of this, but a lot of what's done on the board, now, I'm, now obviously I'm referring to games where you wouldn't run map and minis, but you could say... A lot of it is thought up of, of in, your, in your mind. You're, you picture the scene that the well, game even if you take something like Descent and say, look, Descent, well, there's limits to what your character is able to do. You only have X number of actions you can take on the board. And so it's, boy, I really want to do a backflip. I really want to do this other thing. Yeah, too right. bad. Well, you know what? If we played Pathfinder, you could. And Pathfinder super minis intensive. If you like these minis, we could totally do that. I remember I still have my Hero Quest game and my kids, <clears throat> excuse me, I played Hero Quest, which is another one where you have a game master behind a screen. It comes with a screen and you move the monsters and you do stuff. But so anyway, if you're doing that, when it comes up like, oh, there's a limitation. If only I could do whenever you hear that language, I know a game. We could totally be playing uh, Dungeon World right now. Really? Yeah, we could be freaking crawling through stuff and doing whatever you want you know, talking this out better. Wow. That sounds interesting. Then you start to hook people in. Yeah. I think it's a growing kind of thing where you, you you know, where do you start? I mean, even with board games, you can be like Monopoly, uh, you know, Clue. Well, Hey, you know, I might have some, a gateway game, right? They call them to get into RPGs. They're maybe like, Hey, have you ever played Settlers? No, not really. It's not a role-playing game by any means, but it starts getting into Euro games. And then if you get it's into- the ga- It's the gateway drug, man. Yeah, and then you get into like all kinds of Euro games that are much more complex, resource-intensive. And so it kind of takes that, well, we've played this a long time, and I'm kind of bored with it because some of the the outcomes are can be relatively- pre- You know the gameplay is relatively predictable, um, but then you yep. start getting into like, ooh, Battlestar Galactica. Ooh, that would be really cool because then you have like a trader involved. Ooh, that's really awesome, man. I want to try that game. And then Shadows or Camelot, another yeah. game with a trader. But then, you know, that's board games. Cause, but in the role playing games, it's this kind of similar where you want to maybe start out with something first that you know and feel that you can grok and go with. Maybe it's not as rules intensive as some other games. Maybe it's not as tactical as some of the other RPGs, but you got to feel comfortable. But you got to have players that are also wanting to get into that. And then you'll get it. You'll, and then just, and then it's a grow, a growing thing. One of the other things I did when I was running um, for the high school group up in my hometown, the guys that, uh, the gaming club that puts on Evercon, some of the kids wanted to play 
some games. They want to kind of run some campaigny stuff. So I came up, I ran Osric, which is uh, basically a retuned first edition AD&D. And what's, it stand, what's it stand for, Brett? Old school index referencing companion. You just looked over at it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. It's a cross room right there. <laughs> Anyhow, um, point was, we talked about it, and I, we, I, I specifically chose games that had a uh, an accessible PDF that was cheaper version for the complete rules or had a free PDF. And somebody would say, boy, I heard a lot about this game. I said, yeah, here's a website. One of the things that helped me when I was running these kids, and these are kids that wanted a Game Master, but they <clears throat> they saw me bring this stack of Monster Manuals like, holy shit, that's expensive. God, that looks expensive. God's a $40, $50, $60 book. High school kids. Now, granted, high school kids, they still have more money than I did when I was in high school, but they really, again, teach a kid the game, and he's not going to need money for drugs or practically anything else. But a lot of the kids I'm, I'm working with, again, this is younger kids, um, and even older kids like us, have tablets, e-readers, and that type of thing. When you start picking games that you know are within their sweet spot, they really like this thing. Well, there's a PDF version of the rules. There's a free version. It's a free play version. If you want to try GURPS, there's a downloadable version of GURPS just to try it out. And when you can do that, there's minimal hard dollar investment into the game to break it in. So when you know a game, like, look, I really want to play D&D, and I've got 5e, oh, they don't have the official PDFs out there. And somebody may say they want to try it. Maybe you find something that that uh, you look around. Okay, there's – oh, Kevin points this out. 5e has quick start rules. There's stuff out there that you can grab, you can go with, uh, the starter sets. There's things to help you get people involved that they can go out and grab onto that's not going to break their bank. Oh, I really like playing um, that game. Well, you know, um, that Dungeon World hardcover, Brett, that you're using as a coaster, that thing seems like it'd be a really good game to play. Well, here's a – you can get the PDF for a lot cheaper – than my uh, hardcover coaster, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> Yay, I got the oh my God from Chris inside. <laughs> Let's go into, okay, so if you have made some kind of epiphany on how to make the leap from player to GM, and you want to let us know uh, what we may have missed, by all means, write into GamingNBS at gmail.com, comments on our blog at GamingNBS.com forward slash zero five seven or hit us up on the Twitter or the Facebook or yeah, the if, you've got, Pluses. if you've got advice or con or things that you that that you tried or that you've seen other people try, throw it out there in those in, in those uh, communities because um a lot of people have different ways that they've gone from point A to point B. There's more really cool stuff out there, <clears throat> like I said right now, than there ever was for game masters, even if you've never done it before. And um, helping people kind of narrow that down to a thing that they can actually execute against is, is big. So, Jeff, I hope we helped. If we didn't, uh, let us know what, what we missed or any specific questions you've got, and uh, we'll try to try to come back at you. Let's get into die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you. Just you, though, and nobody else. Because if you're listening to this... That's, yeah, no one else knows about that's it. That's right. <laughs> All right. Shall I start as I want to do? Brett has four. I have two. Brett, you have been an overachiever this week. Yeah, I thought I'd go a little over the top here. Brett's so, um, his game. So, there is this thing called the character cache. The guys from Encoded Designs have threw that out there. I, I went in and said, you know what? Damn it. I got to help them out. So, I went in, put my pledge in. It's a Patreon thing. 
They're making some really cool. They're making some really cool character stuff out there. Take a look. I've got a link out here in the uh, in the chat room. We'll also have it in the show notes as always. Take a look at it. It's good stuff. Didn't you just pimp, um, didn't you pimp them before? I did, but they're they're banging away and they're hitting these little kind of stretch goalie type things. There's some cool stuff coming. I just I, it's really cool. I think people need to know about it. So fair. That's fair. Gotta, gotta the more the more money up. they get, the more uh, stuff they they do. So it starts out with maybe like a a black and white sketch, and then once they get hit so much, then it goes to color, and then yeah. it goes to stats, and then well, you know. and they they did. I mean, word on the street is that there's going to be a badass bard coming up shortly, Ooh. and uh, better I, be. I, I hear tell. I hear tell that his name is Rocker Boy. I don't know if that's true. So maybe it's a rocker boy samurai. We'll rocker see what happens. Boy and a vending machine. <clears throat> That's what we got to see. That's I heard. All right, that. number two. That'd be an interesting domain name. I'm just saying. It would be. Yeah. All right, number two. This is. It's been out for a while, but I've been looking around. Eloy Lasanta had a thing about he's got a new uh, ninja Kickstarter started for uh, retooling his game. I completely forgot to put it in here. I'll see if I can catch it before the end of things. But. I started thinking about Snake Eyes, and Snake Eyes makes me think about G.I. Joe. I keep thinking about how the movie sucked, and I was kind of pissed off. And I went, wait a minute. Somebody said something about a G.I. Joe fan film. Boom, there is a G.I. Joe fan film. It's been out for a while. I finally found it. I have not been able to watch the thing in its entirety, but it looks pretty damn cool. Um, Last one. Oh, not last one. Excuse me, number three. So excited there. Um, Three Forged RPG design contest winners are announced. So uh, Three Forged had a little RPG design contest. They've got the full list out. Cool. Take a look. Um, there is a 3D printer called Dragonlock Kickstarter. This is from Fat Dragon, and it looks pretty cool. I knew, I mean, everybody who's in the gaming world at some point, as soon as you saw a 3D printer, if you're a gamer, you went, I can make miniatures with that. I, I can make scenery with that. I need a 3D printer. And it's shit like this that makes me want a goddamn 3D printer. It looks really, really cool. Basically, it's like, you know, print your own Dwarven Forge type stuff. Not Dwarven Forge quality, but goddamn it, I could print my own dungeon. That's pretty goddamn cool. So that's out there. Yeah, that's another industry that's going to get the big old hammer on the head if they don't innovate and do something about it. So instead of doing like, I'm actually of- producing the thing, you might want to produce ways to implement your designs into the printer's. Like, yeah, pay, know, for a, uh, pay for a exactly 3D design like that. that is licensed for X number of prints or whatever yep, it is. That's exactly cool it. Yep, licensed. All right, Sean, over system. to you, brother. All right. 100, 100. So if you're 100, that's like some of the farmers I know. Ooh, I like <sighs> the farmers, they're good people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the food. You kind of like the food. Should, I like the food. should make fun of people. 100, 100 <clears throat> science fiction and fantasy books to read in a lifetime. Readers picks on Goodreads. Yeah. Let's see, Brett, how many got down on this thing? I'll have to take a look. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, so make a list and check it twice. And if you are a avid science fiction fantasy person, you may have read all 100, which is quite an accomplishment. I would not doubt that my buddy Lenny and Kevin may have very well devoured all 100 of those because they are incredibly voracious readers. Well, then, check it. Game on. Yeah, so a lot of Appendix N stuff. And if you don't know what Appendix N is, it's the thing in the back of the... Is it DMG or Player's Handbook? AD&D. DMG. DMG. It's DMG. It's for, mm-hmm. uh, for you to find... Uh, Inspiration. Thank you. 
Number two, the coolest cosplay scene so far at New York Comic Con. So if you're a uh, cosplay individual that likes to look at some of that stuff, uh, I pulled that up on Kotaku um, that I thought was pretty cool. There was one where Batman, there was a person dressed up as Batman dragging Superman, like a stuffed Superman. That's awesome. That was pretty cool. (laughs) Stomp that blue schoolboy. That's right. Yeah. Do-gooder. Anyways, I think that's it, man. I think we're good. Yeah, so... Uh, thanks for joining us. This show has been brought to you by patrons that have supported the show, like Joe Swick, Keftulu, and Jeff Rademacher, amongst a few others. Again, uh, if you like what you hear or see, tell a person, hey, check these guys out and see what especially, they have to say. Especially that new Game Master who really wants some really solid, vague advice. Right. We're here for it. I mean, we laid it out. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do that. Sure, it takes us 10 hours to get to the steps, but God damn it, the steps are in there. Anyways, this has been an episode of Gaming and BS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Thanks for listening. Good gaming, all. <laughs>